welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I um, I had an encounter with God today. And, you know, it was interesting. I was thinking back um, just a couple days ago on Sunday. Um, you know, I had an encounter with him up here on the platform, and I could not <coughs> stop crying. And I was overwhelmed by, you know, sometimes I have more of a, I, it's hard to explain because it's not really a picture, but it's more of a, I'm sure it's because I'm a knower, right? It's more of a knowing, like it's such an experience with knowing who he is and what he's doing in the room. And But it, I, I really liked it because Sidwell was telling me that 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 Army was, was crying too, in the same way I was, and and he was just, had his little hands up and um, she said she came over to him and he said I don't know why I'm crying I'm not sad <laughs> so I had an encounter with him today but I wasn't sad but I was crying a lot I love his presence so much yeah. you know there's um, there's seasons in our lives where his presence is doing different things in us. And I feel like because of that, it's really, really important that we don't measure everything by the greatest moments that we sort of have an expression, maybe emotionally, of his presence. Sometimes his, you'll have seasons where you just know that you know that he's right there. And there's other times where you have to know that you remembered that you knew he was yes. there. Yes. And there, it's just we're, we're in different, everyone in this room are, are on different pages, obviously, different stages of maturity. And you're not late, you know. And what's good about God is that even if we have an opportunity that we feel like we failed to grasp that he's just so good about bringing it around again yeah. and i want to propose to you that for me personally this season is about an extreme expansion of of what i thought things would look like in the supernatural and I want, since I believe in the trickle-down effect, then I want to encourage you to position your hearts during this season. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks or two years. But in this season, since it's a trickle-down effect, then just like what happened with Army the other day, you know, since we're connected in the Spirit, then, you know, the Holy Spirit moves on Him in ways that He cannot understand. That he does not comprehend. And it's part of our job. It's part of our job while he's in that little room. It's part of my job that I train his parents to train him to, to use what God's put in him that's really unique. It's not, 
as if everyone doesn't have unique things, but there's just different seasons when God is breathing on different things in people. And yeah. it's really important to us, to me, to help us understand that, that when God's breathing on something, that means that he's instructing it, he's, he's fortifying it, if you want to use a King James word, he's strengthening it, he's maturing it, he's exposing it, he's, he's doing something that's different than just the normal. And he's doing that unto something, into for a reason. And and if you can remember that the training doesn't always feel like it's purposeful, but it always produces something that was needed that you didn't, you wouldn't have been able to pinpoint you needed. And that's really important that that yielding process happens that way. Tonight, I want. I want to read you a little snippet out of this alignment book I'm reading. I'm on chapter 8, which is kind of shocking that I've gone that far in a book. I'm not really for sure if I've read every word, but that's okay. But when I woke up today, I, I, I read this little snippet in this book, and I think the title of, I have a couple titles that I might call this, but one of them I think is, is Resting in the Peace of His Victory. The other one is the resting place of the covenant. And the other one is the greater reality. So, you know, we're going to call it one of those three. But let me read you a little snippet out of this book. I hope it messes you up as much as it did me. Jesus is saying this, I only do the works that I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same works as his Father. And that's why it's really important to position yourself as a son or daughter of God. Because only a son and only a daughter of the living God are going to be able to perform the greater things, the impossible things that God puts you on the planet to do. You know, humanity is an amazing entity, and we are able to do a lot of things without God. With God, you can do impossible. If you're not doing impossible things... I propose to you that you're doing things that you can do without Him. It's not a reprimand. It's a challenge. It's an invitation. So he, he wrote this little chapter. He said, She came into the healing rooms with a long list of symptoms. A formidable, a formidable woman. There's a lot of syllables for me to get in my little marble mouth. You know, I have marbles in my mouth, look. <laughs> a formidable, I'll just say it again, woman with a strong take-charge personality. She was well-dressed, commanding, and she wanted to be sure that I grasped the severity of all of her ailments. I looked over her intake form, and there they all were, boldly written out, a, length, a lengthy litany of illnesses. I wasn't scanning it to be impressed. I'm really not that impressed with sickness. I'm so impressed with Jesus. I was really just looking for a starting place with her. Halfway down the form was written, blood pressure. I see it says blood pressure, he said. Would you like, would you like it to go up or would you like it to go down? She looked at me askanced as if questioning my sanity. 
No, really, he said, we can go either way, whichever way you would like. <laughs> well, down, she said curtly. Are you really this stupid, is what the look on her face said. I responded, there's an elevator button right there in front of you with two choices, up or down. Just push the direction you want to go. She looked blankly towards me like a human question mark. Really, just push the button, up or down. She looked around the crowded room full of people ministering in groups of three or four, and there was no way she was going to push an invisible elevator button. And especially in front of all these people, I kept encouraging her. I could see she was beginning to lose her control. Very slowly, looking from side to side about the room, she lifted her pointing finger and moved it toward the supposed location of the down button. <laughs> One more sideways glance, and she planted her finger decisively on it. I said, going down. <laughs> and stepped back. And although I never uh, touched her, bam, she went to the floor. The Holy Spirit knocked her to the ground, and she flopped a bit. And then was out. I was sure she was fine in his hand, so I went off to pray with someone else, but I kept my eye on her. After 10 minutes or so, I saw her stir and struggling to get up. So I went over to help her. She was slightly less crisp than when she first came in. I asked her to check all of her symptoms, and she did but could find none. That sly Jesus slipped in and healed her when her guard was down. And that's what I find him doing again and again. When we let go of control, when the familiar and comfortable or even the uncomfortable become very familiar or moved out of the way, the healer steps in to lovingly take us on a journey into his heart in which, in which healing and wholeness and all manner of good things are planned. We've missed them for so many reasons, but he's never given up. If we can simply help people get their attention and focus off their problems and onto him who is the answer, the breakthrough comes. But often we can't get them quite that far from the all-consuming problem to the answer, capital A. The good news is that he is so ready and willing that when we help them just dislodge a little from being fixated on the problem, he is there to heal them. It's just who he is. So what's the key? Do we just keep tricking people out of their problems and into healing? <laughs> Not exactly. Jesus actually showed us the way. He watched and listened to his Father, and he did what he saw and spoke what he heard. And then he tells us he has sent the Holy Spirit who is watching and listening to him. I'm going to, this is, a chapter that we're going to talk about tonight. 
It's in, I think, Mark 16. No, John 16, sorry. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Oh, and that Holy Spirit lives in me. Oh, wait then. I don't have to know what to do. Right. You don't have to know what to do. Let me say it again. You don't have to know what to do. The Holy Spirit inside you knows what to do. That's the big, that's the big news. All I need to do is recognize that He is here within me among us. He has a plan and He knows the key to unlock any situation and is completely committed to every person on the planet walking into wholeness. Not willing that any should perish in sickness, in poverty, in hopelessness, in despair, in loneliness, in death. He longs for all to come to repentance, to change our thinking and turn from our focus on sickness, poverty, hopelessness, despair, loneliness, and death toward His promises and His presence. His plan and His purpose, His very nature and character those are the things that he is longing to teach us. When we change what we look at and meditate on, we change what we have and, beca and become because truly we must see it first to participate with it. Right. Yeah. So what are you meditating on, he asks. What do you meditate? Is that a new age practice? Have you ever laid in bed all night tossing and turning and rehearsing a problem in your life. We've all done it, right? Yes. It could be a financial issue or a relational problem, a situation at work or in your marriage with your kids, wherever. He says, then you're a great meditator. All that energy and thought you have put into the worst possible scenarios playing out gets to be transferred to God working the best possible scenario out, causing all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My goal is to get people's attention and focus off their problem or condition and onto God and his plan. Yes. Most of the time, I'm not always able to get them quite that far, but he is greater. When their attention is dislodged from the problem, just for a moment, he is so committed that he slips in and introduces himself in any of his curious and myriad ways, and the results are heavenly outbreaks of goodness. When I read that today, I, I, I wanted to read this scripture, and so let's turn there to John 16 that he quoted. And I went ahead and I read the whole chapter, and so I just wanted to take you on this little journey that I had today. In verse 1, I'll skip around, but he says, I've told you this so that you would not surrender to confusion or doubt. And I love in the Passion, he makes this statement. He said, 
so that you won't have a trap laid for you. I love in the Amplified, it says, I've told you these things so that you will not stumble, stumble or be caught off guard or fall away. So I think it's just really good on the onslaught of this chapter to think that he's already giving us a warning about confusion and doubt is really a trap. Listen to me. Confusion and doubt, it's really a trap, and it's been laid for you. You know, have you ever seen those shows? I'm sure some of you are going to wince, but where there's an animal trap out in the forest or whatever, and it when the animal steps on it, it closes up. That's the way this trap is laid for you. Because, you know, when doubt and confusion happen, you get really small. And depending on the level in which... Trust was broken, and how many times trust was broken in your life, then you have self-protectors that you have zipped yourself up in over and over and over and over again, and they stand between you and trust. See, because what you have to understand is that your your actual destiny requires trust. I think one of the girls from... um, I'm a little ringy. One of the girls from um, the Dallas Upper Room, she put out an album, and what's it called? Blind and blind, blindfolded and running. You know, that's how it feels with God sometimes, a lot of times, is that you don't know where he's taking you. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know where you're going. And to the level in which that you need to have control, that you need to know, that you need it to feel a certain way, that you need it to look a certain way with certain people, with certain colors, with certain heights and certain weights and certain shapes, all of that is control. That's not the way our original design was was designed. You know, he told me today that that Adam was born unveiled. The rest of mankind was born veiled. And so see, we don't we have to do something different with being veiled and it's going to describe it here in this chapter. So that's the first thing that we have to remember is that he's giving us we we talked about it was that just last Wednesday? We talked about the the enemy lays out the that was a good description of the traps and how the enemy facilitates levels of us moving further and further away from the original promise. You know, that's really what, you know, in a, I think in Hebrews or Galatians, no, it's Galatians, it talks about how that Let me turn over there. I just saw this right before we came out here. In Galatians, where is it? Four, I think. Four. Galatians 4, it says, there's a part down in verse 21 that is, it talks about an Old Testament allegory. And it's saying that there were two covenants. So with Abraham, there was the covenant of the slave woman and there was the covenant of the free woman. And he was using that as an allegory for us that we have this opportunity to be born into freedom. And so it depends on how we position ourselves. I love it. It says that Ishmael was 
born of a slave girl and born of the natural realm, but Isaac was the son of a free woman and was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. These two women and their two sons express an allegory and become symbols of two covenants. And so back to John. So he's he's telling us, you know, how the enemy lays out a trap. And, and I've been talking about all of these promises of the covenant. So I'm, I'm trying to help you make this transition that in the covenant, I said it a few weeks ago, I'm no longer, longer evil. Yeah. I'm no longer bad. I'm no longer going to mess everything up. I'm no longer wrong. I mean, I'm no longer all those things that you've told yourself forever. If we could ever realize that kind of language, I'm not the wrong shape. I wasn't born in the wrong era. I'm not the wrong age. I didn't make the wrong decision. I'm of a new covenant. I'm free. So let's jump on down. So he's, ta- he's talking to him about him going to leave and everything. And so he told him, you know, you're going to be sad. Verse 6, you're going to be sad. <laughs> Verse 7, but he said, but here's the truth. Don't you love it when he's like, okay. You know, I was telling somebody just while well go. I was like, you know, in relationships, there's going to be pain. But the cool part, if you've ever really had a great relationship, the cool part is right after the pain. Yeah. Kind of the makeup part. Kind of like, wow, I just learned something about you. And it's so cool, isn't it, to realize that you could hurt somebody and you would still have a relationship. You can still keep your love on. They could hurt you. You can be, I told you today, I can be frustrated with you and I can still love you. And she's like, right. You know, we're so, we're so funny. We act like everybody has to feel perfect about us or either we're, you know, we're just offended that they don't or we're going to leave or, you know, we're just hurt, you know, and it's relationships are about all that. It's about the recovery though. What does your recovery look like? Does your recovery take 10 years to get over an offense? I mean, can I tell you, there's some people in here offended at me since last year and some of them didn't even come back because they're just offended at me. They never came to me to work it out. They're just offended. See, that's, that's exactly the trap that was laid for them. They are in the trap, still in the trap, still trapped, still trying to walk around with their leg in a trap, but it's just a trap of the enemy. At some point in some day in their life, they're going to come back to the same point. This has happened to a lot of y'all. And they're going to come back to the same point. You're still going to be here doing the same thing. And they're going to come back and say, I was a fool with my pants hanging down. You know, that's, that is just, that's, that's the trap of the enemy. It's we're we act like we're so shocked when we fall in a trap. What is a trap? It leads to that doubt and confusion. Have you felt confused? You're in a trap. Do you feel doubt? You're in a trap. Do you feel guilty? You're in a trap. These are the traps of the enemy. Do we need to define that over and over? Those are not. God has peace and love and joy and kindness and goodness. If you don't have those things, you're in a trap. It's just that simple. And trust me, it's what Pam and I talked about last week. That, that thing will go gangrene on you. It just will. You leave that thing in a trap long enough, and you got a whole nother set of problems. You know, my dad had a gallbladder one time that got bad. And the doctor said to him, you need to take that thing out. It was, I, I think, a good 10 years later. And it was gangrene then. Think about that chicken juice running through the gangrene. I'm just... 
Just think about it with me. Come on. Think about it with me. That's what's happening when you leave yourself in a trap. It turns into something else, and you wonder then how come it takes so long to rehabilitate it. Got to go to the bathroom on that one. That's just the reality of it. Verse 7, but here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking for if you if I don't go away, the divine encourager encourager will not be released to you. Encourager will not be released to you. Listen, the reason why Jesus had to go away because he was a man. A spirit can reach the globe. A man can just reach a region. So see, there's a powerful thing in thinking what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is hovering over the entire planet. We don't need to be nervous that things are going to hell in a handbag. We need to be more um, uh, decisive. I was going to use another word, but I had to come up with a second one. Decisive to apprehend what's ours. Listen, he says, If I don't go away, he won't be released. But after I depart, I'll send him. That's cool, right? Remember, he's just an engagement ring for the more. But see, Jesus had to go because he can only do so much as a man. So now the Holy Spirit, who is hovering and moving and in everyone that knows Jesus, and he's chasing after everyone else that don't know Jesus. He's a busy dude. Right? He says, but when he comes, he'll expose sin and prove that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgments. I hope that y'all feel different about God's righteousness and judgment since you came here since before you were in religion. Religion messes all that up. That's the Holy Spirit. That wasn't Tisa. That was the Holy Spirit. He intended for you to get a different truth than religion taught you. So he brought you here so you would think differently about how God loves. You can at least say that, right? You can at least say, you might be mad at me today, but you can at least say that coming here has at least presented the idea that God's love looks a different way than religion said it did, right? So he talks about sin and God's righteousness. Okay, y'all can read that later. Verse 12, there is so much more I would like to say to you, but it's more important that I basically give you what you can grasp in this moment. Welcome to my world. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just giving you what you can grasp right now, okay? But listen, but when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. Here's what this is saying. You came pre-wired with a deposit of all the truth you'll ever need to begin to live this life for God. It was just veiled. 
when you said, Jesus, come in my heart, the Holy Spirit came in. He said, let's just blow the cover off of this thing. This has been veiled long enough. I'm going to take, and I am going to blow this cover off. And yeah, maybe Adam was born unveiled. Maybe because of one man's sin, you became veiled. But because of one man's righteousness, you have this condition called salvation where the Holy Spirit moved in too. And the Holy Spirit's been cleaning house ever since. He's been getting all the scales off and all the, he's been unveiling, he's been taking all the covers off of what? Of what Papa planted in you all along? I like the Amplified. It says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the full and complete truth. I love the passion added that's been planted within you. That, that should be the greatest thing you've ever heard. That, that I have all truth planted in me. I am just un, was unable to see it at one time. And now there's an unveiling going on. There's different things cause unveiling. You could hurt somebody and that be an unveiling. See, your experiences are what causes the Holy Spirit to unveil a different side of truth than you saw before. It's called perspective. Have you gotten any new perspective since you've been hanging around? Do you see relationships? See, it only grows with this. It only grows your ability to lead, your ability to be a good steward, your ability to be in, uh, have a good relationship. That's all growing out of the spirit of truth, unveiling of the truth that's in you. When you look up that word truth, let me just tell you what that word truth means. It means a lot. It's a whole bunch. But it's truly what's true. It's, it's God's reality. Yeah. How do you think you go from a reality that you thought was true? Can you think of one right now? You know, when I, I always use this one, but I grew up thinking God used sickness, right? To train us. Because he's a trainer. And wouldn't he use the works of the devil to train us? God has no other tools. He just has the devil's tools. I'm being sarcastic right now, in case you don't know. God just, that was his only repertoire, was to go over to the devil's tool bag and pull out a couple of things and use them on humanity. That's really what religion taught us, and it was a no-win. See, I'm trying to teach you in this book, he's saying there is actually a greater reality. And he used the analogy of weather. We can all believe there's a greater reality of a blue sky than the rain cloud. I mean, you can just look on the radar and see the rain cloud doesn't cover the entire globe. Right? Transfer that to something else. There's a greater reality of wealth than you're experiencing. So speak to the wealth 
that you don't have and learn to steward what you do have well, then the greater wealth comes to you. See, if I'm going to buy donuts with my greater wealth, then I'll just have enough for donuts. But if I'm going to change the world, it's going to take money. If I'm going to change the world, it's going to take money. So God's going to set you up to get more money to change the world. That's what he's going to do. Not buy you more donuts. You can build, you can just plant a donut tree and get donuts in the backyard. The point is, is that there's a greater reality of wealth. If I am praying for the greater reality and I'm praying for it just so I get donuts, I'm not going to get more of that. If I'm praying for the greater reality of wealth and see, he tests us by, I'll give you a little and I'll see if you'll buy donuts with it. I'll give you a little, but he says, I want you to have enough to change the world. I love this guy was talking the other day and he was saying that, you know, one thing that's happening in our government right now, and this is one of the things that you need to understand and pray against is that. They, they're saying, okay, it's, it's good. We all should help the poor. He was just using this as an analogy. All you <laughs> structured people. Um, but he said, and so we, it's, it's, it's biblical. And so we take upon ourselves a family or two and we try to help them and build their life up and get them to a higher status. But the government's saying, now you have to have 2,000 of those. Maybe y'all don't understand what I'm saying. But see, the point is, is that, that they're taking what would be a natural human response to the human condition and they're requiring so much of it that you're not even able to take care of yourself anymore. And see, that's the problem with what you call that. I'm not going to say the word, but that's the problem with it. That is not kingdom. Because in kingdom, the Holy Spirit moves upon you and you see the needs and you see things and you're acquiring the greater wealth of the kingdom to what? Do what's on the Father's heart. Do you think there's things on the Father's heart? Yes, but you cannot as an individual solve all the problems you see in the world. The problem is with us as Christianity and as a whole is that we, we act like we can change everything and we change nothing. And so this truth, it's still, it's just more. It's the greatest latitude. This truth I'm talking about. This word, it, it, this word comes from a Greek word, and it, it actually is the subword of athlete. This truth has so much power in it. I love it. It says, it's in reality, it's a fact. It's certain. It says, it, I love it, it's, True notions of God. Don't you love that? Truth is just truth is just truth is subjective. And that's what we're talking about in John 16. He says, when the truth-giving spirit comes, he'll unveil the reality of every truth. The real reality of truth is God's reality. And so every place that you're willing to look at and say, is this really the way God sees this? I'm just using weather and wealth. Sickness is the same way. Is there a greater reality of God's healing or some disease? Which is bigger to your mind? When you hear the word cancer, is that bigger 
than God's reality. Now we've got COVID going around. Is that bigger than God's reality? That's what we have to realize. So let's keep going. He says, he won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father, and he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. That's really cool. So he came and he unveiled truth. And there's a second part of his job. He's not only unveiled for you to see what's in you. Have you had that happen yet? You sure? So if I came to you, all of y'all right now in this room, and I said, who are you really? You'd be able to tell me, right? What the spirit of truth says about you. And what's been prophesied over you. Super. So now the next reality is he's like, those people that know that, I'm going to tell you what's coming prophetically. He does it all the time. You know, to, to not today, I got up and I had this encounter with God and I was reading this stuff and, and Chrissy called me later on and she told me this dream that she had. And I'm, she's going to read about it. It's life-altering, just setting you up. And not you, them. And she was telling me this dream and I was like, oh my gosh, that's just exactly what I just read about. And so then I was sitting in there and Shudy was back there and she, Shudy actually asked me the question about what I'm talking about. Uh, she asked me a question about truth and, be, and it being planted and all that. And I was like looking at her going, how's this even happening right now? So let's go on. It says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me on the earth and he will receive from me what is mine. And he'll reveal it to you. I love the passion guy because he says he'll plant what is mine and show it to you. Where do you think he's planting that? What is it? What was he talking about right here? Who's he coming to? What's he unveiling? So everything that's Jesus's. Oh, I wish I could get this. Everything that's Jesus's is going to be planted in this recently unveiled garden of truth. Do you understand how important that is? That means truth can never end. Use another word, revelation. It can never end. The latitude of truth. You have so much latitude when you believe truth. You have so much smallness when you believe a lie. Get the picture. If you smell, if you smell small, if you smell small, If you feel small, you're under a lie. There's actually a revealed and unveiled truth right there beside it. You just can't see it. It's not, un- it's not veiled anymore if you know Jesus. Are you sure you're getting it? So everything that's Jesus' is, is going to be planted in you. By the Holy Spirit. He's a great planner. See, that's part of what I tell the worship team. See, we have to cultivate our hearts in worship and gratitude and praise. So the king can come in, right, and reveal himself by the Holy Spirit in a new way to you in the service. That's what what we're calling church. 
we're not here. I'm not here to earn money. I am here to reveal truth. And see, the truth needs to be planted in our heart to have an opportunity to grow because growth takes time. The, the fruit doesn't happen the moment. See, I'm giving you something new tonight, and I, it has, has not had time to bear fruit. You're going to have to go home and meditate and cultivate on whether you believe this word or not, which that would be stupid. I'm sorry. You go home, and, and you... See, if you have to wrestle around with it, if you have to try to say, I don't know if I believe that, I can't see it, I don't know how to make it happen, you're not making it happen. Your part is believing. Do you want it or not? Do you, do you, want, do you want to realize that there, more planting needs to occur in your life, or are you good? It's like that lady that came to the healing room. Why was she not good? Why was she stiff and rigid? Why did God have her do something stupid? <laughs> Silly. Right? Because he's trying to offend that he doesn't work that way. He doesn't work with inside your control. He's just trying to get something through there. That's why I always talk about if I'm trying to tell somebody truth and they, I can't come through the front door, I've got to find some other way. Maybe a side window or maybe a little crack they didn't realize or maybe an ant hole. Anything. I'll just try to get in there. Why? Because their entire being needs truth. They just don't even know it. And see, when you encounter people that have this litany of diseases, that's what's happened. They have been trapped and trapped, and it's gone gangrene. They don't know how to get out of the trap. And so you have to give them the truth that they can hear. See, I had a, we had a, we had a designer lady when we lived in Colorado that we hooked up with, and she, I've told this story before, but Every place she went, she wanted them to have a red couch. And I was like, well, what if they don't like red? She's like, well, everybody loves red. I was like, no, no. My melons, they all like tan. Not all you melons, but because y'all are healed. All the unhealed melons, they just like tan. Every melancholy I've ever worked for, we always painted her house tan because everything else was too busy. And so... That I was like, you, you know, you don't have very many clients, but she would not relent. And sure enough, she didn't have very many clients because she, she only had one way she could design. She didn't know the people. She just knew what she liked. And see, that's what happens. Okay. Here we are. Okay. I'm on verse 15. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. Do you see this cool connection? The Father has everything. Do you believe it? Yes. Do you believe that you're trying to learn to access everything He has? Yes. Right? Yeah. And He's not bankrupt. Right. So the tension is, I love how Bill says it, if you're not seeing it happen, you adjust. Yeah. Yeah. He can't adjust. Yeah. It doesn't need to be offensive. It's just a reality that if you're not, if you have a desire for to see people healed and you're not, you need to adjust. He put the desire in you. If he put a gift in you and you're not using it anymore, adjust. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say that the divine encourager will receive what is mine. He just keeps saying it. He's just saying the same thing over and over a different way. 
and he'll reveal it to you. So he's trying to say, listen, I am trying to get some goods to you. I'm trying to get something to you. I'm trying to reveal something to you. It's, uh, it's in abundance. It's like up here just, you know, waiting, waiting. And so he's trying to say that the Holy Spirit wants to help you understand the width and the height of this covenant with Jesus because everything that's Jesus's belongs to you now. He says, soon you won't see me anymore. And after a little while, you'll see me in a new way. So he was just, you know, making them confused right there. Uh, let's jump on down. Let's go to 23. Here's another eternal truth. So, you know, the other, other verse, he said, here's a truth, right? Now here's an eternal one. When that time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything. But instead, you will go directly... To the Father, this is that time. Yes. Yes. Okay, so if you're waiting on the runway, this is that time, okay? You will go directly to the Father and ask Him for anything you desire, and He will give it to you because of your relationship with me, because of His name. So that tells me Jesus' name and my level of knowing Him. I talk about this a lot. If somebody tells me my favorite ice cream is vanilla, they don't know me. They do not know me. Right? If somebody tells you something about you, you know whether they know you or not, right? Even in all of our changing ways, the people that know us know we've changed. Know we like something new now. Right? And see, that's just... It's how do, do you know Jesus? How do you know a person? How do you know somebody? Jesus is the word. If you want to know Jesus more, read him. If you want to know what he likes, read him. It's all real clear in there. And ask for the Holy Spirit. See, when I go to read something, I'm like, Holy Spirit, show me something here I've never seen before. And he always does. If we go to the word and we're like, oh, it makes me feel bad. You don't know him. And so he's saying, when you know him, when you know him, your operation here on earth looks different because you know what he wants to do. And see, he's looking, the, the father is looking for a person that will do what he wants done on the earth. And so when I position my heart to do that, I will see all kinds of miracles occur. I will see all kinds of breakthroughs occur. Why? Because that's what he really wants. He, he doesn't want anyone to perish. I just read it. He doesn't want anyone to have poverty or sickness. He doesn't want any of that. So he's setting you up. He's putting you in places where there's hurt people, there's sick people, there's people in poverty, there's people that don't believe truth. For you what? For you to get the nugget in. That's his heart. And when you do that, he'll do something with it. He says, I love... This next little verse, it says, until now, you've not been bold enough. 
What does that tell you? Takes a little boldness to go to the Father. Takes a little confidence. Are we lacking? Let's be honest. Are we lacking a little confidence? How do you think confidence increases? Practice. Practice. Why are we so reluctant to practice? Until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking. And you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for. And your joy will have no limits. Verse 26, and I will not need to ask the Father on your behalf because you'll go ask him directly because of this new relationship with me. Don't you love Jesus? He's just telling you how it is. This is what you're going to feel like doing. Have you got to that place yet where you feel like doing that? I'm there. I'm like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I need to go ask him some stuff. I feel like, I feel like it. I feel like I need to go. Do you feel like you need to go yet? Do you feel? It says, because the father tenderly loves you. And because you love me and believe that I have come from God, I came to you sent from the father's presence and I'd entered into the created world and now I'll leave this world and go back to the father's side. I love this. I, when I was reading this today, um, in verse 22, he was talking about, I read it already, but he was talking about, um, so well, maybe I didn't. So will you also pass through a time of intense sorrow when I am taken from you? He keeps talking about how sad they're going to be. And right. And, and so when I was thinking about that, it has this really cool reference in, in the Passion Bible, Passion Translation to Isaiah 66. Now listen to this. This is what Isaiah 66 says. This is God's resting place. It says, this is what Yahweh says. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. But where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place I will rest? My hand made these things so that they all belong to me, declares Yahweh. But there is one my eyes are drawn to, the humble one, the tender one, the trembling one who lives in awe of all I say. Jesus was referencing this when he was saying that in John. And so think about it for a second. When we talk about the resting place of the covenant, do you understand that God is looking, I, I just, this should blow your mind, but God, his presence, the presence of God is looking for a resting place on earth to be enthroned. What does enthroned mean? If you look up enthroned, I think I looked it up today. I did. To sit in a place associated with a position of authority or influence. So God is saying he's looking for a heart where he can be positioned in them, where he, where he can find his resting place. Do you think if God's at rest, then what is holding him would be at rest 
If my container was made by God to be his resting place, the resting place of his presence, this Holy Spirit abiding in me, he's longing and he's saying, I'm looking for the humble. I'm looking for those who by my presence, I want to be in them. I want to position myself in them, not in the prideful. He goes on, you can read chapter 66 if you want. It's really, really good, 66. But it says the ones that he doesn't, it says, they have all chosen their own way, not mine. And because I called out to them and they ignored me. So see, this is what you have to understand. When you hear God calling, he's trying to make you his resting place. And in return, guess what you get? Rest. There is an abiding of rest when you enthrone him in his right place. And when, when he, when Jesus was talking in John, that was what he was saying. He was saying, this guy said it back in Isaiah, but I'm telling you now, this is what the spirit of the living God is looking for. And when the spirit of truth comes, he wants to find a vessel to do this in and through. And when he does, he will unveil everything that you are. See, because one of the truths that he unveils is who you are. And that's why in the book he said, if you, if you can't see it, you can't do it. If you can't see this position of the Holy Spirit in you and, and his ache that goes out. See, I, when I read that, I ache that I hear Yahweh saying, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. My eyes are running to and fro. I'm looking across the earth to see whose hearts are toward me that I can position myself in their heart and I can be the resting place. And from that position, that position, I can ask him anything. And he's going to do it because I am focused on the greater reality of what he brings than the reality that I see on earth. And that is the peace of this covenant I'm talking about. Come on, Mendel. Wow. That is one packed word, isn't it? Packed word. We've all got to go back and listen to this message again to really get it because that was, oh, I know she had so much to cover and she, I think she covered almost all of that she wanted to, but man, it was packed full. So good. So good. Well, um, as Tisa mentioned, I had a dream last night and this kind of unusual kind of experience when I woke up that um, I didn't realize what all it meant until I started talking with her and then this thing started happening in me where I knew it was tied somehow to my dream. And so I pressed into it to find um, what what it meant. And so I'm going to tell you the dream and read what I wrote about it and then talk to you for just a minute about it because it goes along exactly with what Tisa was talking about today. It's sort of painting a picture of when of this process that she just described, okay? This process of truth unveiled. So in a dream... A mom with two young boys went swimming in a cove. When the mom saw a wave coming, she called out to the boys, telling them how to handle the coming wave. When the wave hit them, she saw that one of the boys was being tossed around underwater. His hands were extended out, so she was able to grab hold of his hand and pull him to her. She carried him out of the water. 
And as she did, she was giving him some instructions about what he now needed to go and do. She was saying he needed to remove this tape from between his fingers. And she reminded him that he knew how to do it. The interaction between them was especially sweet and playful and brought a great sense of joy and love to them both. All the while, the mom seemed to know that the other son had felt strong enough to manage the wave on his own, and she knew that he had been hurt in the process, and that now they'd have to wait for him to recover at the hospital. Interestingly, when I woke up from the dream, I was in this really, it was a really um, intense dream full of emotion, really, really packed full. And so I woke up and it was really intense. And as I was kind of just in a, in a little bit of a daze, I realized that I had this a version of a little ditty that we sang here back in January. And the version that I had going through my head last night was the spirit and the bride the spirit and the bride, to see and be seen. And it was just going over and over and over and over in my head. And we sang that back in January as the beauty and the beauty of the bride. It was the beauty of the bride to come alive. It was the beauty of the bride to see and be seen. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you what I think the dream represents. I believe the dream represents two different ways that we can experience the process of truth being unveiled in our lives. The mom in the dream represents the Holy Spirit, who knows the intention of the outpouring is to unveil a truth hidden inside the children of God. She knew that there was a way of handling the coming wave of the unveiling. She was nearby, willing and very able to pull her child close to her as it washed over him. Instruction and encouragement was given in this process. Instruction and encouragement. As is the intention of unveiled truth. For them, the process was filled with a deep, deep sense of love and delight in one another. For the other son, the mom seemed confident that the truth would still be unveiled but she also knew that healing and recovery would be needed before it could have its intended outcome in him. She knew that this process would take time and that she'd have to wait on him from somewhat of a distance. For them, the joy and delight that was available in their relationship would be on hold. We have a promise from God that his spirit will renew our minds that his truth is planted within us and his spirit, the Holy Spirit, will unveil it within us. We also have a commission from him to wield this truth as the mighty weapon it is as we rule and reign with Jesus. We've been called to see truth's reality and then be seen creating with it on earth. The dream is a picture of the spirit and the bride in process. The Spirit must unveil truth within us so that we can then wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is truth. Our reliance on the Holy Spirit in this process is essential. 
when we are humble, extending our arms, not hiding the fact that we're being tossed around in the waves, the Holy Spirit is able to pull us in close. The unveiling process of truth can be an experience of deep, deep love, joy, and pure delight. The kind that we dream of, the kind that makes every other moment of the day seem to pale in comparison to the depth of love we feel in that one moment. Correction and being realigned with it to a newly unveiled truth can be the most satisfying, rewarding, love-filled, peace-giving, fun, and empowering experiences in our life. The alternative is to stand stubbornly on our own understanding, insisting on our self-reliance, and then be taken for a very long, bumpy, and bruising ride that is void of the sweet communion already made available to us. Outpourings of God intended to unveil the truth within us have a destiny that's not up for debate. I'm going to read that again. Outpourings of God intended to unveil truth within us have a destiny that's not up for debate. I believe the force behind them is unstoppable. Their power will be felt by us one way or another. These waves released on earth will, they will alter the landscape. It's already been predetermined and woven into the design of man, of earth, and of truth itself. We can position ourselves to be shaped by truth's immense and innate power in one of the two ways depicted in this dream. The choice of which heart position we take is entirely ours. It's a choice we must make every single moment of every day because our good, good father is pouring out wave after wave after wave after wave. So the song, I I just wanted to remind you of some of the other words of that song that we sang back in January. And in this case, it was the spirit and the bride. It's time to come alive. It's the spirit and the bride to see and be seen. This next line was, there's a weapon in her heart from the love that he gave. And today I have a new understanding of what that weapon is. The weapon in her heart from the love that he gave are those pre-planted seeds of truth in us that are then unveiled. You realize the power of truth. I mean, the power truth is such a powerful weapon. It says in Ephesians 6, 17, we were talking about the armor of God just the other day and referencing, you know, battle strategies. And it says, um, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is truth. I mean, it's an entire book full of truth. And so this picture that that Tisa was painting today is that this unveiled, this, this truth lies within us and the Holy Spirit comes and he unveils it. And so, and then we see the truth. We see that the truth for what it always was. And we step into this greater reality. And then we have the option and the ability then to partner with him to take that truth in us and, and wield the sword of that truth with what we see. 
And so we speak the truth, we declare the word of God, and it's what um, Tisa's preached on before, how that's how it becomes a double-edged sword. God said it first, and then we say it again, and we create on earth how it is in heaven in this process. It was also, it was so crazy that, you know, I had this dream about these two boys and then in the process of Tisa and I kind of preparing for today, we came across the Galatians 4, which at one point um, down in, I think it's verse 21 or so, references that Old Testament allegory that she referenced about Abraham's two sons. And so, you know, one was the son that he did out of his own ability with, with the slave woman. And then the other son was the one that was supernaturally conceived, which was actually God's promise. And Galatians 4.30, it says, so what does the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. So remember, this is an allegory, okay? So... The, the allegory is the, the, the son that was living under the law, that was living in this law of what I can do for myself and self-righteousness was not going to be an heir for God's promises. The son that was born from this position of grace, from the supernatural, this gift that was given is the true heir of the promises of God. In the footnote there, it says that this is showing us that the two sons are not meant to live together. You cannot mingle law and grace, for only grace is based upon the promise of new life. So, you know, I have to say again that I, I woke up with this intense emotion and I felt like the Holy Spirit really wants us to understand what's, what the Father's heart feels like, if I can say it. See, I woke up feeling the joy of the first child, the joy that was shared between the mother and son. And it was the best, you know, it was like the best feeling in the whole world. But I woke up and then I immediately experienced the grief because that's not the reality I'm living in right now because I'm experiencing the other option right now. And I realized that this is how the Father feels. This is how the Holy Spirit feels with us, you know. I mean, if we have that kind of level of emotion as human beings in our earthly experience, just think about this Father who's born all of us as his children and I think, you know, it just, and then I, I just think about how Lou partners with it, with that. Lou partners with that trap. He sets that trap and then he just adds more fuel to the fire and, and builds on those offenses. And all the while, while we're stumbling around with that trap on our, our foot, like she said, we're grieving the father so deeply. And this is the father who holds, literally holds the world, all of the world. He holds everything in his hands. He is the very nature and essence, the source of love, of joy, of peace. Like it doesn't come from anywhere else. Like he's 
the true source of it. And all he wants to do is just is hold us and embrace us and be with us and pour out all of his goodness. He just wants to give us everything he has. Like that scripture said, the Holy Spirit knows what what comes to the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus. It belongs to him and then he gives it to us. That's a process that God wants to just repeat in us over and over. Let me give you the kingdom. Let me give you the kingdom. Let me give you the kingdom. Let me give you the kingdom here. Let me give you the kingdom in that situation, in that situation, in this moment. Let me give you more of me. Let me just pour out my goodness on you. And in the process, you and I both would experience this tremendous love and joy and excitement in a playful, fun, exciting way. It's the it's the real experience of life. It's what we were, were born to experience. We're not born to experience just to go accomplish a bunch of stuff. We're born to experience that level of joy and peace and love and delight. But instead, as human beings, we've been so stubborn. We've been so foolish. Doesn't it sound foolish when you think of all that's available in that way and, that, and we just like, no. I think that I'm going to stick with my own way right now and I'm going to take this bumpy ride instead and and I'm just going to work this all out at a distance from you until I'm so broken that I can't do it any other way. And so it really just made me go into a, a position of, of praying to Papa and asking for his forgiveness. And so I just want to read you this little prayer that I wrote. I just said, Papa, forgive us for our stubborn, foolish ways. We're such fools sometimes. We're just so foolish. Forgive us for all the ways that we've misunderstood you, painted other motives on you, called you names that would never forget fit. Forgive us for all the accusations we've made against you, for all that we refused to forgive you for, for all the stubborn stances we've taken and the roads we've paved just to build more of our own way. Forgive us and have mercy on us, Papa. We just ask for your mercy. I just ask that you would pour out your mercy on, on your people, on your children. Not only the people in this room, but just around the world, Papa. Just we, as, a, as human beings, have been so foolish and so stubborn. And look where it's gotten us. And so we just ask you for your forgiveness today. And we say we'll repent. We'll take up this territory of our heart and we'll change today in whatever areas or places we need to. We'll be responsible for our own hearts at the very least. And we say we repent and we will change our ways and we will extend our hands and we'll just say, it's true, I'm flailing. I'm flailing around in what you're unveiling right now because it doesn't even make sense to me. And But I won't hide it from you one more day, Papa, because I want you to pull me close to you and to give me the eyes to see so I can run and eyes to see so that I can see this relationship between us properly and feel the love and experience the greatest experience on earth, which is the love of Father God. It's the love of the Holy Spirit. It's the love of Jesus Christ. There is no greater experience. And so I won't be foolish for one more day by choosing some low-level, low-level, ugly old road that I have to crawl on my knees on instead. I just won't do it when you have so much to offer me. 
And so, Papa, we just say thank you today for the, for the seeds of truth that you planted within us, all the while knowing every single one of them was packed full of promises, all the while they were gifts you knew that we would open one day and we would be like little children on Christmas morning, experience the greatest delight, every single seed of truth. And so we just thank you for that. We thank you for the delight that you've pre-planted within us and for the, the encounter with you that you've set us up for in advance to experience with you. We just thank you for that. We thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your persistence that you do hover over us, that you hover over us over and over and over again, no matter how long it takes us to enter into a surrendered position because you're so eager you're so eager to pour out your goodness on us. You're so eager to place that gift in front of us and tear the paper just to get it started for us so that with the truth of the gift within it can be unveiled. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price that you did so that this would all be possible. We thank you that you paid the price of, of, of sacrifice, that you, that you went to hell and got the keys and brought them back again and put them back in our hands. And then you went away. You fulfilled the entire plan of God so that the Holy Spirit could come. The divine encourager could come and walk us through this process so that we could experience full, full, full loving relationship with you. So we just thank you. We thank you and we say that we will look at the waves of truth coming to us, the waves of unveiling, the waves of revelation, every opportunity, no matter what it looks like, no matter if it's at a 7-Eleven getting gas tomorrow or if it's in a confrontation with our boss or it's a, it's a conviction of just straight from your Holy Spirit or if it's someone correcting us, whatever it looks like, we will see it as a moment of encounter with you that we can have. So we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, and we love you, and we surrender to your ways. Holy Spirit, help us, help us surrender. Help us to see each moment for what it really is. Fight for us, Holy Spirit. Fight for us, Papa God. And I just cancel every assignment of the enemy that's already pre-positioned itself to counter this word tonight, this message. I cancel that assignment and I call it null and void. I just send it packing and I say, go back to hell where you came from because you're not going to affect us. I just declare that this word is going to go forth into each person's heart and their mind and their soul, and it is going to bear the fruit that it was intended to. So we just send a, a we just say there's a holy protection over this word. There's a holy protection. There's an entire army of heaven that is going to be surrounding each person to protect this word and let that process begin in a brand new way. So we say yes to you, we say yes to you, we say yes to you, and we love you, we love you, we exalt you, we exalt you, Father God, above all. And we have an eager, joyful anticipation of what's to come between you and us in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay